Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Van, the father of Johnny Bravo. Van, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thanks. Hey, man, it's been a long time coming. And, uh, you know, usually in this part of the show, I'll start to ask, you know, where you got your start, how you got in animation. But I wanted to take a peek behind the curtain for just a second. Uh, I would love, what's that? That's fine. I'm sorry. I, I interrupted uh, you. Keep oh, going. No, no, no it's, <laughs> it's perfectly fine, man. It's a give and go relationship. Uh, when you bring Johnny Bravo to Cartoon Network, what was that initial pitch like? Do you remember, you know, obviously this is like 25 plus years ago at this point. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be hard to remember the exact details or what you were wearing or anything like that. How nervous were you were pitching this show? I mean, what did it yeah, feel? I can. I, it's funny because I, I, I'm like a pack rat. So I'm going to tell you something really funny or interesting. I don't know why this is funny or interesting. I have binders full of stuff back here. And what happened was when I was pitching Johnny Bravo, I like the history of the whole Cartoon Network in these binders, if you would like to know. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> but um, when I pitched it, I actually pitched Johnny Bravo on the very first day of the shorts pitches, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I don't know if you, anyone has ever talked about the pitching of the shorts. So it was on Friday, September 24th at 9.30 a.m. Um, the first pitch was Bill Hanna, but um, I think Bob Onrado pitched Hard Luck Duck. That was the very first short that they pitched. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was uh, The Many Hats of Leon and Rufus by Tony Craig and Robert Scanaway. And then the third one was Will Pong and Iban. He pitched this show called Subhero. And then Pat Ventura pitched George and Junior. And then... I pitched Johnny Bravo. Those were the first five pitches of the shorts program at Hanna-Barbera. How old were you at that time? I was uh, 23. 23. You know what I was doing at 23? Trying not to shit my pants getting yelled at by people, man. You're in front of royalty. Bill Hanna. I'm assuming... This he actually wasn't there. He was because he's older. So who was there? Linda Sminsky was there. Mike Lazo was there. Uh, Ellen Fred Seibert was there. Fred Seibert was there. Um, a bunch of other people. I think Janet Mazzotti was there. Julie King Rich. A uh, bunch of folks. And it was just kind of funny. See, I remember most of the stuff that happened on that day because I brought in my portfolio. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, this is how I'm going to. I wore a tie. Um, <laughs> People were like, what are you doing? Because everybody else, everyone else that pitched that day already worked at Hanna-Barbera. So wore my tie, pitched my show. I put out my, my uh, portfolio and no one looked at it. And they're like, oh, that's great. And then I 
showed my student film and they watched it. And in the middle of running the student film, like Fred Seibert walked out. And I was oh, like, shit. wait, what? He had to do something. And then he came back in. I don't know if you watched it before, whatever it was. And I proceeded to pitch the show. I actually have, these were my pitch boards that I did for the show. Um, I still have them because they actually blew them up so that they could, I could uh, pitch it with, uh, pitch it live, I guess you can say. Yeah. So anyways, I could bore you with all the details of that day, but those were <laughs> oh, that's that's not boring by any stretch of the imagination because you're the first person that I've actually asked what was that pitch like, and you're the first person that said I actually remember, and not only do I remember, I've got all this shit right here, all of this <laughs> stuff. Like very rarely does like I think that's cool as shit. Have you ever thought like a lot of the uh, a lot of the guests I've had on they'll they'll take a lot of their artwork or artwork they've collected and then they lend it out to shows and museums and stuff like that. Uh, have you thought about doing something like that with your art and everything? Because you've got what it seems to be like everything since you know you started yeah, pitching back I in the did, 90s i did at the i actually so for the first one i did at the museum of television and radio mm-hmm. they did a whole thing so they took a whole bunch of pieces like the first uh drawing that i ever did of johnny bravo the first uh, had some cells this was actually when i pitched johnny bravo i didn't know what they wanted so mm-hmm. these were actually two um two designs that I did of him. One, if you notice, he had Popeye arms and stuff like that. Yeah. It was just kind of, a, I was like, I don't know what you guys want or how you guys want to do it. But anyways, um, that was that. <laughs> so when when that's going on, when you're giving that pitch, you're like I said, you're 23 years old. And that's, that's insane to think about, right? You are so and i'm not calling you old man but i'm just saying that is so young to be sitting in front of like i said legends obviously bill wasn't there but you had what would soon be titans you had fred you had linda you had mike you had all of these people that would be calling the shots for cartoon network adult swim and all this other stuff obviously with hindsight being 2020 or foresight at this point because you're looking forward um were you amazed when they said hey, we want to take this for a show? Or were you just like, yeah, motherfucker, I know. We're going to take this for a show. Uh, there's that part of me that was like, I think I'm amazing. And then there's that <laughs> part of me like, what am I doing? Um, they didn't want the show. I don't know if Fred Seibert ever talked to you about that. Did he tell you that? No, we, we talked a little bit, but I had him on for a couple different hours. I'm going to have him back on to go a little bit more in detail. Um, but I was very new when I had Fred. So I wish, I, I wish I could get some of these interviews back for the first time now with more experience. Cause I've been doing this for about a year and I was so nervous to talk to Fred. My palms were sweaty. I was so nervous to talk to Fred because like I said, he, he, he was the, I want to say the gatekeeper, but he's the gatekeeper for Cartoon Network. He ushered in this yeah. era, this Renaissance. And I was so nerve i was shaking my hands were sweaty i was like uh uh uh, uh. i didn't know what to say and then no, you know he, he talked me into it and then but yeah he didn't talk too much about about johnny bravo he talked a little bit about a little or talked a little bit about a lot of things so yeah he is he was awesome he was one of the he's like a cartoon fan the thing is when they had the cartoon network advisory board do you remember that did anyone ever tell yes. you talk about that yeah robert robert alvarez has talked to it about a little bit and then uh, david as well with uh with with the red guy and um craig mccracken with the uh, him uh, so yeah we, we've talked about a little bit about it so yeah the cartoon network advisory board they all got together and 
it was kind of a publicity stunt, but it was also kind of a, a really interesting thing where uh, Mike Lazo and everybody, they wanted to know how, how did you guys make cartoons? And mm-hmm. Like, well, we had one director and it, was, it wasn't to sell stuff. It was just one director, one person's point of view, and we let them do what they do. And so then they uh, put out the call for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this whole history of this part. Oh, I love it, <laughs> but, man. But Fred, so Fred's idea was let's, let's start it off with George and Junior, like classic uh, MGM. It was already in their library. Mm-hmm. Let's do those. And so he loved Pat Ventura's artwork. He thought Pat was amazing. Pat's like the future of... Hanna Barbera. So if they thought that they would do like the next buddy stuff, like Tom and Jerry, mm-hmm. George and Junior, blah blah blah. Um, they thought that's that's what can hold a seven-minute show. That's what can hold people's. That you can only tell that so much story in seven minutes. So, anyways, if you notice, it's been a while since I've talked to people. So if I start talking about <laughs> blah 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 blah, it sounds really weird. Um, that's just because I don't haven't been talking to many people. But anyways, <laughs> back to what we were talking about. Um, so Fred was looking for that. So when I pitched Johnny Bravo, he didn't like it. He was like, um, Ellen Cockrell was the one that pu- was pushing for it because she really liked it. Mm-hmm. And it was Ellen and Julie Kane Rich and Janet Mazzotti and they actually went to Fred and said, we actually like this one mm-hmm. because after they'd been watching all these pitches, they're like, you need to do something. So Ellen called me back in and said, Hey, um, Fred doesn't think this is cartoony enough. Can you make it cartoony? Mm-hmm. I was like, sure. So I have pages in here where I just did a bunch of squash and stretch. I did wacky things with like sumo wrestlers and all that other stuff, just random jokes. And uh, they, they go, okay, I guess we'll buy it. And, uh, but we'll hire him on a step deal. So if we like the script, then we'll let you stay. If we like the storyboard, we'll let you stay. If we like, so I felt like my days were numbered. So it was one of those things. So it's not like they said, hey, welcome. They yeah. said, hey, here's strings attached. <laughs> yeah. And so every day I was coming in going, oh, I might be, I think my last day might be in, in a month. So I just worked and did as much as I could. Uh, and then they liked it and then they kept liking it. And uh, yeah, that was a, a funny one. <laughs> what, what's, that, what's that vibe like? Because I mean, obviously I assume they want something or they want your, your IP. They want your, 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 your show. So I got to imagine they want you too. What is that feeling like for you specifically going in there knowing like today might be my last day because I'm on this type of, if they like it, I'm cool. If not, I'm, I'm kind of on my way out. What's that feeling like for you? Is that hard to, to keep creating and getting in that head, that mindset, that, that brain space? Yeah. So it's, it's, it was okay here. So on my first day at work, actually, my first day at work was supposed to be, it was right after the earthquake, the big LA earthquake. So Hanna-Barbera was actually torn down. I thought, I have a piece of the building somewhere, yeah. somewhere in here. Um, 
anyways, I called him up and this guy, Bobby, they called him Lobby Bobby. He was the guy in the front. He's like, yeah, yeah, nobody's here. So you, uh, you might want to call back later. I was like, okay, I'll call, I'll call back later. I guess my first day is not my first day. Yeah. So I eventually got a hold of him. So I actually started a week later than I thought I was going to start. And the first day I moved in, um, I moved into this office with, uh, it was like two offices put together with one of the walls cut out. So Paul Rudish and Craig McCracken were on the other side. They were starting up Powerpuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was on the other side. And it was just a whole CalArts gang. Yeah. And so I didn't know anybody. Everybody knew each other. Um, People would just keep walking in. Hey, good job, Craig and Paul and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't really talk that much. We like we'd start up a conversation that wouldn't last very long. Then I'd just be working on my show. They'd be working on theirs. And then uh, and then Gendy moved in. And then so it was just us four. And again, the whole CalArts people. And I was yeah. like, I need to move out of this office. <laughs> Because I feel like I, it's like, I feel like I'm in the wrong office. Like there's all these people that know each other and I'm the random person in the corner. Yeah. And so they moved me into an office down the hall. So, um, so when I say it's weird, it's weird because um, these guys had been working on two stupid dogs. Mm -hmm. So they all knew they, it's like, they all they have a job they have another job it's like they're straddling things and they're yeah. throwing stuff over craig like hey craig can you I, did you know he did he designed i don't think he talks about it very much uh the dumb and dumber cartoon we, we talked the briefly i can't remember if we talked briefly on air but i know i asked him some questions off air kind of like i do with everybody um yeah. and we we talked about it. i just like i said i can't remember because that one went almost two hours as well um i we i know we brought it up i just don't know how in depth we went into it it's just fun. It's like they they were asking them to do freelance and there's just all kinds of stuff they were doing. So they were uh, they were all connected, but I just was I didn't know anybody. So I hired my friend, Andy Bjelk. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, Andy, come on and work with me because I don't know anybody else. And so he it was just me and him for a while. And then other folks joined in. But anyways. Um, when I say it was hard, it was hard because they, uh, again, it was, it was, it's a hard thing to like befriend everybody. Yeah. Actually, it was real. who was really nice was Robert Alvarez was really cool. He was fun to hang out with. And so was Pat Ventura and this other guy named Robert Ramirez. He was totally cool. Um, but I, I was, I was very much like, I guess you can say uh, I wasn't very talkative around all the CalArts guys because I felt intimidated by them. They were just really good at what they did. Yeah. And they already worked and they were my age. So I could talk to older people <laughs> because I loved older people. I think you have to understand, I was a huge cartoon fan, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of like you get your dream job and you're like, what? I, it was like being in a, I think... Um, Thorup called it a fun factory, Thorup Van Foreman. Yeah. I was like, I like, I like that, uh, how you described it. It's a fun factory. You go there and it's super cool. So I would go hang out in other people's offices and Joe Barbera had a revolving door, not a revolving door. He had an open door policy. Yeah. So they're like, if you guys in the shorts program, they're all, if you guys want to 
want to go talk to him or anything, it's like, feel free to go down there. And I think I was the only one that did that <laughs> because I don't think anybody else had anything to say to him, but I'm like, I want to talk to him about like the MGM days. I want to talk to him about Tom and Jerry. I want to talk about all kinds of cool things. Um, so I used to go down there all the time and Maggie, his assistant was like, band's here. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's two names I wanted to hit on and two names that don't get brought up. Enough. Uh, Robert Alvarez, right? He, I, I've said it before on multiple occasions. That man is a national treasure. What he's done and what he's seen and what he's worked on. I mean, if you're watching this episode, I got to imagine you've watched some of my other episodes. Yeah. He's worked on damn near everything from the 90s, uh, from all the Cartoon Network days. And he's still prolific. He's still working. He's working with JG now, you know, create a regular show. Um, and, and, you know, so he's still working. So it's crazy to see that they can take this man and put him. He's like the right piece for every puzzle, essentially. You stick him in there, and he's the guy that you can really lean on. He's got the expertise. He's that veteran that, that everybody wanted to work with. What's your favorite Robert Alvarez story? Do you got one whenever you think of Robert that you just look back and like, God damn, Robert, I love that man. But what's your favorite Robert Alvarez story? Well, I think there was a – did he ever tell you about the check that he used to have on his wall? I don't think so. So Seth MacFarlane got his checking account when he started up at Hanna-Barbera yeah. and then um, he wrote this check to Robert it said to Robert Alvarez and it's paid to the order of Robert Alvarez and the amount he wrote jack shit <laughs> and then he signed it and then he just put it and so he had that check up on his wall for a long time yeah <laughs> What did you learn from Robert? I mean, I got to imagine that that if you're if you're going down and, and talking to you know Mr. Barbera, that that you 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 absorbed a lot from Robert. So, what do you think was one of the biggest things you learned from Robert as far as working in this industry goes? Well, I learned timing, yeah. which is awesome, and I learned a lot of animation stuff from him. He actually animated a a good portion of the second short, Johnny Bravo short because mm -hmm. we animated it in-house. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know any other animators and Robert was like, I'll do it. So he did some really cool stuff. I still have his animation. Um, but he was, he was fun. I'm, one time we, uh, we did a student film showcase. So like Pat Ventura bought his film, this guy Mark Kausler bought his student film in. And Robert brought in this film that he made when he was younger, which was like a Kung Fu movie. And it was yeah. just really funny <laughs> to see this live action young Robert Alvarez. He looked like an Indian back then. He's like shirtless and doing all these <laughs> funny Kung Fu moves. Um, yeah, he was, he was awesome. Yeah, he's been... Uh... We'll talk right after we get off of here. Whenever we wrap up, I'll, I'll tell you about what I'm working on because um, it's still super secret squirrel stuff right now. Uh, but he's one of those guys that I've leaned on so heavily because, like I said, his, he's just worked on everything. His knowledge is so vast. And there's one person that doesn't get brought up enough is him. I mean, I, I don't want people to ever think, you know, he, he said it multiple times on the podcast. That he didn't create these shows. You know, he didn't come up with the concepts. He was put into a place because they needed his expertise. They needed his knowledge. And he was an easy. Now, I want to say he was an easygoing guy because I don't know him personally. I just know him through the many hours that we've chatted. 
Um, but everybody that I've ever met that that he's worked with on their shows has said they were he was such a valuable piece to that that puzzle. He was he was one of those people that, that everybody could really count on that when the shit hit the fan that you want Robert right next to you if it was go time. Um, so yeah. I want to make sure that, you know, whenever whenever I get the chance to bring him up, whenever I get the chance to hear a story, man, I always like to I always like to go for that one. But a name that hasn't come up too often. And before I get to that name, you brought up this, this, the, the, um, your student film a couple of times. So we'll talk about that one because there's a lot of fans that ask questions about that. Um, but Bill Hanna's come up a few times, but Mr. Barbera, Joseph Barbera has not come up uh, too often. So what was that encounter like when you're talking to him? I mean, did you feel like I felt when I was talking to Fred, were your hands sweaty, were your knees shaking? I mean, what was that like sitting next to somebody that created? helped co-create, excuse me, uh, just decades and decades and decades worth of content that we will never, ever forget. Um, he was actually fun. I, he, I, anybody that ever came to visit me at the studio, I used to give them a tour of Joe Barbera's office. <laughs> so I've 20, 30, 40 times, he's given me the same tour. So I could give you the tour of his office right now. If we were walking through it, I could tell you which pictures he would show and point out his pictures with the Pope and make people roll Emmys. And he would just do all these interesting things. He'd show the, um, he had a, what's, what's the, uh, oh gosh, what is the name of the, there was Dick Dasser, Muttley. He had a Muttley doll that he liked to press from Japan and it would laugh and he's, he got a kick out of that. Anyways, um, did you know I hired him, sort of? Really? Yeah, on Johnny Bravo. Uh, I have a couple of John, uh, Joe Barbera stories. Um, so when I got the show, I went into his office and I go, hey, Mr. Barbera, would you like to work on my show? He's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I go, I would love for you to just come in in the writing sessions and everything. That would be super cool. Mm -hmm. So he was on our staff for like, a few weeks until we got a bill. They're like, here's your, I go, what? That, it's his studio. He, he said he just wanted to hang out. They're like, no, you have to pay for him. How big was like, that bill? <laughs> I go, we don't have the money in our budget to, to afford Joe Barbera. They're like, oh, then he can't, he can't work for, it was what I remember I went and saw Maggie, I go, could I get Joe? Joe doesn't work on other people's shows. It's like, I go, no, no, no. He's not working on my show. It's like, he's just going to come like be a consultant. It's like, I want him to just be there. I want to like absorb from him. She's like, okay. It's like, I had to have a little more respect for him. I, I came in like 23 year old, hey, come work for me kind of thing. It's like, it wasn't that way. It was more like, I don't know the language to speak. I was like, whatever. Um, so yes, it was like Joe came in and he um, he was part of the he was, he was part of the group and it was cute because he would it's like when Maggie would come and get him he'd like hide <laughs> it's like Mr. Barb Mr. B come on we gotta go it's like he liked hanging out with us he yeah. my favorite joke of his was we were trying to figure out Super Dupe and he, we were like going around basically if you were in in the in the room, this is what Joe would be like. 
he would he just he couldn't keep up because everyone was just like throwing things around and then so i'd have to stop and go mr barbera so we've got this thing where we've got a super villain and where's like some evil super villainy things like some physical comedies things that you can just see we don't have to like say whatever he's like well he just has to do bad things like like he could take a baby and put it in the middle of a freeway <laughs> so, so i guess that's a good super villainy type thing to do babies on the freeway and um I guess that was an old joke that he did. He used to come, when he would come up with jokes, there were old jokes. He had like his his gaggle of jokes that he would always pull out, um, which were like, okay, that that works. But it, it, they, were, they were jokes that we'd already heard and we're like, okay. It's more fun, it was more fun just to ask him like dumb questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite dumb question that uh, one of my writers, Steve Marmel, he goes, uh, Mr. Barbero, uh, as I was wondering, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about Snagglepuss being gay? <laughs> and Mr. Barbero goes, what? So Snagglepuss, he's gay, right? It's like, no, he was, he's based on Burt Lahr. He beat women. It's like, that's far from gay. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, okay, that's. <laughs> that's a good so we throw things out like that uh and he always had yep he always had his fingers he always had manicures which mm -hmm. is he's the only person i'd ever seen that had manicured fingers um but <laughs> but okay so i'll tell you the one random joe barbera story um so when i finished the scooby-doo episode mm -hmm. i brought it over to joe barbera i go hey Mr. B, I wanted to show you this new episode that I did. Uh, it's Johnny Bravo meets Scooby-Doo, right? He's like, okay, here we go. So we started playing it and he's watching it, right? This is like right after lunch. So sitting there watching and like, I, I did everything that I could to make sure that uh, we had the walk cycles because I, in order to do that episode, they, they gave me the whole library of uh scooby-doo animation at my disposal which is amazing and so i sent all the walk cycles over to um korea to be animated and they kept coming back and they didn't take the walk cycles; they just did whatever they did new walk cycles and i'm like no do the exact same walk cycles and they're like you mean just photocopy them i'm like yes photocopy them and just put them on there that's that's what i want and so when they did it, it was awesome. Anyways, that's the first thing Joe Barbera said after he was watching. He's like, oh, you got the walk cycles right. I was like, yeah, awesome. You notice. Thank you. And so he's watching and watching and then he's watching and then he's like falling asleep. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I go, <clears throat> and then he'd like sit up. It's like. And then he totally fell asleep, like within four minutes of the 11 minute show. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but there's an unmasking part. Yes. In the show where they unmask people and then you'll say the ghostly gardener. And then at one point, Don Knotts. And then the open one said, Joe Barbera. And yes. then Joe Barbera goes, <laughs> like, sat up and stuff. And I, I, I was watching him and 
as soon as she sat up, I like looked at the TV, like I'm not, I didn't notice you were sleeping, but I kind of looked at his corner where I kind of looked, he woke up and he just like looked around and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> like laughed. And then the show was over. And then he thanked me for keeping the integrity of the characters. He's like, are you doing more with our characters? I'm like, yeah, totally. He's like, great. We'll bring them by next time you, you do one. I'm like, okay, I totally will. Thanks, Mr. B. That's awesome. So anyways. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Hold on one second. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a special place. Uh, and I apologize for talking off off the mic but i got a special place for those characters man no i do too shaggy and scooby right here we're actually uh we're we're going my wife is going as velma because uh there's two cartoon characters that i've always had just uh, it gets me there's what i'm getting at man i love looking at uh you know velma and then always Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Those are like the two, like I'm not into that cartoon shit where it's just like, oh man, I'm lusting after this character. But like when you see somebody dress up as those two characters specifically and it's well done, you're like, man, this is what a red-blooded American is supposed to feel like right now. You know what I mean? So The designs are awesome. I love it. And so, yeah, I when we did the show, it's like, of course, Velma's going to love Johnny. That's going to be cool. That'll be a really special thing so i think cartoon network jumped on that they made an interstitial with johnny and velma and stuff and it was just a cool yeah i love velma i love scooby-doo um it was hard not it's amazing how much they did not care about scooby-doo i remember when it was scooby-doo's 20th anniversary i went to the uh creative services i'm like are you guys doing anything for scooby's 20th they're like no they didn't insane like they didn't want to like celebrate uh i don't know what it was but i think they did too much so much scooby-doo that they were sick of scooby-doo by that point but i totally wasn't i've never understood that because when i think of cartoon network there's a few shows that i think of now obviously these shows were done back in the day on prime time on different channels but during my age of consuming cartoons at its height when it was just either cartoons or it was NBA, it was cartoons or NBA. Like my, so my height, these cartoons were in reruns at this point, but Scooby-Doo was at the top of my list. And uh, like I said, when we get off this call, remind me to tell you that story. I'm not going to tell you about Scooby-Doo. When we get off it's, it's a little personal. I told Robert too, uh, but it's a little personal, but Scooby-Doo, the Flintstones, like those two move or those two shows right there were like cartoon that was like my introduction. Like everybody's got their introduction. It's, it's generally like the Looney Tunes or it's Tom and Jerry, or it's, you know, insert here. Mine was Scooby-Doo and the Flintstones. So those, those two specifically, they will always hold, you know, a special place in my heart. Um, and I'm hoping that since there's so many people my age that were fans like yourself that grew up on shows like that, I'm hoping that you'll see some kind of revival um, you know, they just did this Scooby-Doo Encourage crossover. Um, you know, they had Be Cool Scooby-Doo, which I thought was fantastic. It was a little bit more grown up humor, but I loved it. I thought it was funny. It was fun. You know, uh, the jokes were good. The animation was fantastic. Um, but I, I do feel like Scooby-Doo is one of those characters where they have in their back, back pocket and they could do so much more than they're doing with now. 
I don't know if it's just tied up in licensing or somebody owns, they don't want to use it, or, you know, they think it's oversaturated, whatever it might be. I, I really do hope Scooby-Doo makes some kind of a comeback because that character is a cornerstone. When I think of Cartoon Network, I think of Scooby. When I think yeah. of Cartoon Network, I think of Fred Flintstone. You know, I think of those two characters. And then when, when I'm talking old school, when I'm talking modern, I'm thinking, you know, Johnny Bravo. I'm thinking Dexter's Lab. I'm thinking Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I'm thinking all these other cartoons I grew up with in the 90s is the other cornerstone, the other pillar for Cartoon Network. So I can't I can't agree with you more. I, I do think that they should do something a lot or they should do a lot more with Scooby than they have done in the past. Um, well, then, when they when they I first got the show, I was with Sherry Gunther and uh, Fred and development people. And the first thing that I asked was, can I do a Scooby-Doo crossover? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first thing that I wanted to do. Cause I didn't I'm like, cause I love those, those Scooby-Doo episodes where they met like Sonny and Cher yes. and everything. I'm like, let's do one of those. And they're like, okay, you can't do, it's like Scooby-Doo has to enter Johnny Bravo's world. Johnny Bravo can't enter Scooby-Doo's world. So I'm like, okay, if that's, Sure, that's fine. I can totally deal with that. Um, so when we got to do that, that was super cool. But then to record all the voices, that was amazing to see. Yeah. If um, there's a video online, Butch Hartman put together this yes. video from Johnny Bravo that has Casey Kasem doing uh, Shaggy. Shaggy. Yeah. And it was amazing because he would do it. And I was like, what the heck? It's like, I don't, I don't even have to direct you. This is something that you're doing that is just like amazing. And it was just so much fun just having him there. And then we had Frank Welker doing Fred and, um, oh my gosh, I forget her name. Who did the original Daphne was there. Oh, uh, Miss North, um, Heather North. Heather North. Yes. Thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm probably, I don't know why I blanked on that one, but I was like, it's there. I know it was North. I just couldn't remember the first name, but thank you for yeah. saving me right there. They did. And so for them to do their stuff, but the thing one second okay so i wanted uh what you call it i wanted don messick to do scooby-doo but they but he had just had a stroke mm-hmm. so he wasn't able to do it but prior to then he was doing droopy master detective and mm-hmm. the fun thing is that they had uh read-throughs before they did the records mm-hmm. and they did them upstairs in uh in the, in the main building. And I used to sit outside the door while they did the read-throughs and just listen to everybody do their thing. And I love uh, listening to Don Messick just do his stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyways, one day I went over there and I brought something for Don Messick to sign. Cause I'm like, I collect autographs and everything. Yeah. So he did this thing. I don't know if you can see that. Oh yeah. He wrote, um, but he wrote Scooby Doody Doo. I don't know why he wrote duty. Yeah. I was like, oh, I should, can I erase that and put a B? So it says Scooby Doobie. But no, I just left it because I was like, oh, that's cute. But um, anyways, I, I wish I could have gotten to work with Don Messi, but I didn't get to work with him. But it was awesome to get, just to get all the, whatchamacallit, all the voice people and just listening to them do their thing. That was just the coolest thing. Um, did you feel like a kid again? I totally did. When you're at Hanna Barbera, you totally felt like a kid because everybody was there. 
Um, Jerry Eisenberg was awesome. He's the guy who created Fang Face and all those other fun things and wacky races. Everyone loved him for wacky races. I love him for Fang Face um, because that was more of my childhood. I was the wacky race person. I had the appreciation for wacky races and everything and the banana splits. That's what I loved about Jerry. It was his association with banana splits. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was awesome because you could sit around and hang out with all the, like we had these, Working at Barbera was just the funnest thing. I just have to tell you. So because Joe was friends with everybody. So we'd have parties every month in the quad, in the parking lot. And they'd bring ice cream and bring cake and celebrate everybody's birthday. And there'd be random people there. My favorite time was when we saw uh, this guy with the big beard. And mm -hmm. Paul Rudish came up to me and goes, hey. Who's Grizzly Adams over there? And they're Adams. <laughs> oh that's fun that's grizzly adams hanging out over there um so it's it was just you see lucille bliss would come in all the time you would see her at every hannah barbera event she was the voice of smurfette and yeah. she always wore something smurfette ish and she loved doing the voice for everybody i'm smurfette You're like okay you're smurfette and she seemed she was just fun and eccentric and it was just full of those kind of people. You know, your whole childhood was there and you just had to go and talk to people and you go in people's offices and everybody had something amazing there. You're like, what is that? Yeah. You have random collectibles and everything. Um, yeah, this, I don't know if you can see up there, there's the, from Charlotte's Web. Yeah. That was uh, a background painting from Charlotte's Web. So on like my last day at Hanna-Barbera, Al Gamir, who was a painter on the show, he's like, I know you've really always liked those. You've always loved Charlotte's Web. Why don't you take one? I was like, okay. So he gave me an old an original background from Charlotte's Web. And I'm like, okay, you guys are awesome. You guys are cool. <laughs> Man, I got to imagine like that same Whenever I hear stories like that, I mean, this is how I feel when I get to talk to everybody I get to talk to. And like I said, there I've said it so many times on this podcast, I'm pretty sure the fans are going to hate it. But there's nothing like, you know, smelling a dish that your mom or your grandma might have cooked for you when you were younger. There's nothing like hearing a voice like Casey Kasem or Don Messick or Frank Welker, even to this younger generation. Um, or Billy West that played Shaggy in um, Scooby-Doo um, uh, Zombie Island. You know, there's, there's these voices we hear, these, these smells we, 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 we smell that instantly transport us back to being a kid, right? Yeah. And, and so many times I've heard so many different stories about what Hanna-Barbera was like, um, you know, during the 90s and the early 2000s and stuff like that, where it was this place of imagination, this place of fun. Obviously you guys did a lot of work too, you know, but everybody was there for the same, like you guys enjoyed these cartoons. You guys were fans and then fans got into the medium and then the medium, it, you guys saw a love letter to the previous generation of animators and writers and voice actors. And then it translates into you guys's business. So I never get tired of hearing stories about people like myself, but I'm not an animator. I'm just a guy that likes to talk about this stuff. But people like you that got to meet their heroes and work with their heroes. I mean, 
you you were the tour guide for Mr. Barbera's office, right? It's, it's fucking wild, you know. Well, it, you know what was funny was um, Maureen McCormick, who played uh, Marsha Brady on the Brady Bunch. I don't know if you're a Brady Bunch fan. I was a huge. I Brady watched Bunch it when fan. I was a younger, so I missed that generation. It was, yeah. it wasn't for me. I, I totally loved her. She came in and she, she showed up early for one of her records mm-hmm. and it was Christmas time. And she's like, oh, I could have, I didn't, I could have showed up an hour later. I had some Christmas shopping that I need to do. I was like, well, you know what? Just since you're here, we should go Christmas shopping in the studio. Just grab a box. And I took Maureen McCormick, like my favorite person. That's like, because I love Brady Bunch. That's what I grew up on. And I took her to every office and every one of my friend's offices and said, hey, this is Maureen. You might know her from the Brady Bunch. She didn't get to do any Christmas shopping. You wouldn't happen to have something that you would like to give to her. And everybody always had something, like some sort of knickknack and people would like give, fill up her box. And she's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And like Alex Kerwin, this one guy, it was his birthday. And so I got to bring her to his birthday party. He had a birthday celebration. Like, Maureen McCormick's here for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so things like that were totally fun. And she got a kick out of it. And she got to go. And she came back with, like, we got to go into the Hanna-Barbera closet where she got to raid that. And so she didn't get to go shopping. But she got to come back with a ton of Hanna-Barbera, just toys and stuff like that. So it was just really fun and cool like that. That, that's awesome. Like I said, I, I love hearing the, these type of stories and each person always has a different story about, you know, who they, who they got to work with or who they, you know, who they idolized and who they went to for questions. You know, that's something that I, I don't get to bring up enough, but you being 23 years old at that time, like I want to take it back to Johnny Bravo for just a second. Uh, 23 years. Oh old, yeah. There's that show. <laughs> Who would you lean? And I'm glad we got to talk about Scooby-Doo because there was quite a few fans uh, that, that wrote in and wanted to know. That was my favorite episode, that one. And then uh, one of the other ones that I absolutely love, whenever I think of Johnny Bravo, I always think of the Scooby-Doo episode first because that was my favorite episode of the entire series because I love seeing Johnny and the gang come together. And then the fact that they both lost their, lost their glasses and they both look for him. And that was a little love connection right there. Like, oh, shit, this makes sense. You know, so I love that that whole that whole scene. And then uh, the other one was was where fucking Johnny was catfished by a deer. Um, I don't know what season that was, but I, I love that season I love, one. That was yeah. date with an antelope. That was, you know, the, the Internet just had just come out at that point in time, mm-hmm. um, which is totally weird to talk about. It makes you seem so old. But <laughs> we had um ted turner brought all of us all of us all of turner including hannah barbara out to the uh the cinerama dome uh-huh. and he pretty much explained to us what the internet was some of you maybe know that you're connected to these things and you're doing interoffice uh, talking and stuff like that and his, he had this dream for a paperless society and so at the end of the thing he gave us all a book about the paperless society and everyone proceeded to throw away their paper book into the recycling bin but no i threw mine away because it was not like i said it was it was that was his dream he wanted to kick disney's ass that was his quote and and have a paperless society so 
Well, with the exception of some of the Disney movies, and I'm just I'm I'm being facetious when I say some of the Disney movies. Um, Disney Nickelodeon tried to compete with Cartoon Network for a little while, but they only had a few shows that were really good cartoon wise. Cartoon Network ran just rampant. I mean, every person that I grew up with, it was Cartoon Network, Cartoon Network. We watched Hey Arnold on Nickelodeon. There was a few shows here and there on Nickelodeon. For the most part, Cartoon Network really ran the world when it came to cartoons. I mean, they have an entire network named after themselves. Cartoon, Cartoon Network. You know what I mean? So, excuse me. You know that Craig Bartlett worked on our show on the fifth season, correct? I did not. He's a hard man to get a hold of. Craig, the creator. So, Hey Arnold was one of the creator of Hey Arnold. Yeah, he worked on, he was one of the writers on our show because he had a a deal at Cartoon Network at that point in time. And I'm like, hey, want to come work on my show? He's like, yeah. Totally. So he was one of my writers and he was fun. I loved Craig. That's, that's insane. I had, uh, I had Jim Lang on Jim did the, uh, the music for Hey Arnold, which is like synonymous. I mean, there's, when you think of Hey Arnold, it's like one, a one B type of thing. You think of the music right away. You think of mm-hmm. how great that show was. And then you think about the music. He had the coolest music that acid jazz when Jim Lang really broke it down um, and told me, you know, his whole style or his whole vibe. And same thing with Craig, as far as like what they wanted for a vibe for a show, as well as the music. Um, See, I love Craig because of the Penny cartoons that he did on Pee Wee's Big Event, Pee Wee's Playhouse. I didn't know he did those. That was Craig. Really? <laughs> yes. Wow. That's wild, man. Yes. And he did. He worked on the um, raisin commercials, the California raisin commercials and stuff. So. Yeah, that that came up with somebody I talked to. I, I, I didn't know that before. But when, when you said that the raisins, yeah, that, that one's come up a few times. Um, it's crazy. But the penny ones. Yeah, that's his. What was what was it like? There's a few names that come up and you brought up Butch. Um, Seth as well, you've brought up. What was it like working? Was Hey Arnold already a thing when you came when he came to work on Johnny Bravo? Did it already finish? He worked on the fifth season, so he was in the later, the last season of Johnny Bravo. So it was after Hey Arnold. Well, okay, so Hey Arnold already concluded because I was wondering if if you can work for two different companies at one time. Yeah, Um, yeah, I I didn't think so. Um, But working with all three of those guys, all three of those guys. I mean, they're huge in this industry, you know, Seth being family guy, the Cleveland show, American dad, the Orville and everything else. And then you got Butch with uh, Danny Phantom. And then you got, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking fairly odd parents. I don't know why I blanked on that one. That one was right there. It just seems like whenever you got so much shit going on in your head, you're sitting there trying to collect all these things. It looks like all these files just keep flying away. That paperless society that Ted Turner. It was fun. Um, Mike Ryan, who was who I hired to be the head writer on our show, he I just worked on one of his shows that's on Apple Plus right now. So mm-hmm. um, that was a full circle moment. Yeah, I can and only imagine. That was fine. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, yes, we would have Zoom calls the night because I took pictures of everything. So I have tons of photos of like all the time. So I would just post. Uh, pictures on the slack channel that we have we have the internet office slack thing i'm like here's michael ryan in his model escadets here's his billy idol phase and all those different <laughs> things that's those awesome things make me laugh. what uh what was it like working with those two specifically uh uh seth and butch on um johnny bravo i mean w- obviously you know what you know now 
when it came to what would they would go on to create and stuff like that. But what was it like in the early stages working with those two gentlemen? It was fun. So um, when Seth came there, he was, you, did they tell you his story about how yeah. he came? Yeah, how he, he I think he won, uh, he won in college. He won the right to come over there to get his foot in the door the, to get to show his film and everything like that. He won the Freddie Award. Yeah. Um, it was only for RISD and UCLA because I gave out the UCLA Award. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we shared an office for a while during while he was making his short. Um, so I, also, I had fun with him because we both like musical theater. Mm -hmm. So we would sing a lot of musical theater. <laughs> What was your go-to musical theater you're singing? What? What was your um, go-to one? I I had cassettes and stuff that I would play in the office mm -hmm. and listen to Oklahoma and Music Man stuff like that. <laughs> Seth, I was I I wish he had it. During one of on Steve Marmel's birthday, he rewrote um, "You Got Trouble" from the Music Man and roasted Steve with it. And it was the funniest thing. And I'm like, oh, I wish you, I wish I had the words to that. She's like, I have it somewhere. I'm like, whatever, you're not gonna find it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Seth was fun. He, my favorite random thing was he, I won't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, he, we, um, he, both Butch and Butch, because Butch was older. Mm -hmm. So he, but Butch was awesome also, because it's kind of like the non Cal Arts contingent, right? So Dexter's got greenlit. And so all the Cal Arts guys went there. Then Cow and Chicken got greenlit. Mm -hmm. And then everybody else went there. And then Johnny Bravo got greenlit. And I'd go, like, who else is here? <laughs> And so Butch and Seth were the last people that I was like, okay, I can, I'd like those guys to be on the show. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, they, they were fun. We had such a great time. There's so many like random little memories that I have of it yeah. that I could talk about for days because there were just so many funny, stupid things mm -hmm. that we did. Um, and that we, like my favorite thing, we went, there's just a group of us. There was a, in Westwood, they had a film festival and they had the music man playing there. So a bunch of us hopped in a car and went and saw the music man. And it was just the funnest, cutest thing. Actually, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories. Um, we, Mae Whitman, I don't know if you know who she is. She played yeah. little Susie. I, I know the, the character, show. but yeah, I, I didn't know I didn't know her by her name. So, so um, she asked if we could go speak at her school in her class and talk about animation. I'm like, sure. And so, can we drive the mystery machine? <laughs> and they were like, uh, yeah. So I went through, I jumped through all the hoops to drive. I go, can I drive the mystery machine? They're like, no, you can't drive it, but we can have someone drive you. So we got in the car. And we drove in the mystery machine. We drove down the freeway, it's, which is the coolest thing 
you drive down the freeway, hey, I'm in the mystery machine. You just wave to people. Like, it's the coolest thing. And we got to the school and we drove up to the school and all these kids start running out to the van and they're up against a fence. But we didn't realize the cop came up behind us and was following us as we're driving. We go, oh, crap. I think we made like, like a wrong turn or we did something illegal. And then the cops pulled up and they're all, just want to see if Shaggy was in there. <laughs> but like, no, it's just, we're just here for a school visit. Uh, just bring them the van. Like, okay, great. And then they just went off. Of, but we were totally freaked out about that. But yeah, we would do those kind of things. Play, we have a fun miniature golf thing. It's just, like I said, there's, we were like really good friends during those times. And we just did a bunch of fun. And it was just all about hanging out and just doing dumb stuff. Like we, one day we, we had this Seth MacFarlane day where, because Seth's one eye is bigger, is, is, his vision is, was different. He has contacts now, but when you saw him, one eye was bigger. So yeah. we drew glasses with like one big eye and one small eye. <laughs> and he always wore like button up shirts with a t-shirt underneath it. And so everyone just dressed up like him and had paper glasses. Yeah, I have plenty <laughs> of that. Um, but those guys always did impressions, yeah, which was always fun. And so they would just sit around and do impressions all the time of everybody. So they 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 did. I think the impression of me was not flattering, but it was it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Who did it better, Seth or, or Butch? Well, both of them did it the same. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They're both mimics. So it was fun. What is what is that like? Because, I mean, obviously you can't speak for those two specifically. <clears throat> but it's something I've always found super fascinating. Because if we were having this chat, you know, at the same table, Vice, over thousands of miles of internet connection, Ted Turner's world, um, it would be different because i think we would do a lot of the same because we, we're, we're creatures of habit but we also mimic so you know if, if you were laying off to the side it would show a sense of like oh he's comfortable so i'm gonna do the same thing or if you got your arms crossed i might do the same thing so obviously with those two guys specifically their impressionists their mimic you know they, they like to, to copy and, and add yeah. that twist and what is that like trying to work in the animation field does that, does that mimic thing, does that happen? Did you see a lot of people trying to do the same kind of art with that? Or were their art styles just completely different? They're completely asked, different. Yeah. They were the only two that would mimic anybody. I never, I never really heard Craig or Genny or anybody do that. Mm -hmm. I think they're, no, actually, Genny, Genny can totally do Dexter. Genny yeah. can direct people like that. Craig, no, Craig can too. But the, I just have to say, they don't, I've never heard them mimic people. I've heard them do voices and do that kind of thing. Okay. But the different creators that came through the studio that I can remember, yeah, they didn't, they didn't uh, that wasn't the thing that they would just riff off of. I think Butch and Seth were just, they just liked doing it. Yeah, just to have fun, blow off steam and stuff like that. Uh, what was it like trying to wrangle in that writer's room whenever you're trying to get a show out and you got some stuff you got you got a certain timeline to get something out what was so the here's, those here's guys the thing i we just were dumb we just read <laughs> stuff we're like that's funny <laughs> that's funny 
we didn't like do our writer's room were just like read-throughs mm-hmm. and we never like plus them and that's just something that because i had never run a writer's room before yeah um so everyone was just like that was cool that was funny there wasn't really much to fix and so when i would get the script i would rewrite them mm-hmm. but i wouldn't in a writer's room i didn't like hey what's a better joke here what can be i didn't know how to do that so the writer's room was just a bunch of people sitting around we just would come up with stories we would just try and come up with something funny that's more of what it was um and then they would go off and write it and they were like okay that's great i'm just going to edit it down to a good thing and maybe throw in some funny jokes or whatever what i think is funny and that's pretty much how it went yeah beautiful and uh a couple more questions before we get to the fans questions and one we talked about before but before we get to that part um did you how do i ask when johnny bravo is that first initial concept was this something you thought of when you were really really young or was Johnny Bravo something that you conceptualized once you got to art school, animation school, and you had to do that, that first student film? That was my last student. That was my senior thesis project. Mm-hmm. So what happened was um, went away. I went away on a silent retreat. I went to Loyola Marymount University and they had a silent retreat. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use that time. And draw and listen to God and try and figure out what is it? What can I do? How can I, what can I come up with? And he came up, I came up with, I took all the things that I love because the, my teacher pretty much told us, write what you know, do what you love, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at this one. (laughs) So I love Elvis. That would be great. I loved Al Hirschfeld. The design came was a riff on one of Al Hirschfeld's drawings. Mm-hmm. I took a bunch of Al Hirschfeld drawings and then I uh, put glasses on them. I put the Ray-Ban aviator glasses because mm-hmm. I think those were fun. I thought those yeah. were very Elvisy. Um, and I love there was a movie, a, a student film that I had watched at Loyal Marymount called The Magnificent Seven Elvis Impersonators. Mm-hmm. And I loved that concept. I thought that was funny. And then there was another show called The Three Santas. And there was like a big tall Santa, skinny Santa. I was like, okay, those two things, I could do the three Elvi, right? And then when I came up with the designs and realized that that's a lot of drawing. Mm-hmm. So I made one Elvi. Yeah. <laughs> and... I saw the animation style that uh, Bobo Cannon did in uh, the Dover Boys. I was like, I can do that strong poses, blah, blah, blah. So I did all of that. I, um, I watched Elvis things and I did it frame by frame and it just kind of sketched out like the, uh, how it would look, look movement wise. I'd thumbnail out Elvis movements and mm-hmm. put them into that film. Um, yeah, and so I did this film, and that's the one that, um, which, which was funny because we're, uh, I didn't have a soundtrack to it because back then you had to do it like on a mag tape and all the other stuff and record it, and 
through all the different layers and I didn't do it because I was really bad at school and uh <laughs> me too oh, I'm just making that up the uh oh, I was horrible okay well that's <laughs> you um yeah. <laughs> um so yeah the uh I was late so what I did I had my friends who did the voices for me mm-hmm. I had them come up on stage I got some of my musician friends, they came up on stage and I did all the sound effects and we played the film, film silent and we just had live, a live reading of it. And it was just really fun. That's pretty um, cool though. That's really it, cool. It was very, um, a multimedia extravaganza. And I think they just talk, they used to talk about that in the animation department at LMU and say, Van was innovative and he did this thing, this project that was, like multi-sensory and I was like no it was it was because out of necessity yeah. <laughs> because I, I wanted to get a good grade um, but because of that I wasn't able to like enter the film in film festivals because I didn't really have a soundtrack and then when Hanna-Barbera wanted to see it I was like oh but I want to get all my friends voices in there and so the film that I showed them was me doing everybody's voices <laughs> what's your Johnny Bravo sound like um, I don't, it sounds pretty much like you would think amazing. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Speaking of Johnny Bravo, man, how did that name come about? Um, it's my middle name, right? Johnny or Bravo? Both. Um, really? <laughs> my full name is Ephraim Giovanni Bravo Partible. Uh-huh. Um, so Ephraim is my first name. Giovanni, which is Italian for John. Okay. So, and then Bravo is my mom's maiden name. So my middle name is John. And then to cap that off, um, you have the Brady Bunch episode that they, uh, they had a Johnny Bravo name. So it's like, well, there you go. That's, it's kind of. Meant to be. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. That, just those things made me like, okay, I'll after myself also. So, and it's just a funny name. I, I like, they wanted me to change the name and I didn't want to change the name. Do you know what they wanted um, to change it to? They, no, they told me to come up with a bunch of different names and I fought for it. And they said, okay, there's no trademark on it, but you can't just say Bravo because the Bravo network, I was like, that's fine, I can do that. Um, So yeah, because of the Brady Bunch and stuff like that, I'm like, no, but it's my name. It's the cool thing, I I like that. So anyways. Yeah, excuse me, I I like that, man. Um, Going back to the Elvis part for just a second, what's your favorite Elvis song? My favorite Elvis song is If I Can Dream. Yeah. Yes. Uh, From the 68 comeback special because it's just good. It's good stuff. I, my granny was a huge Elvis fan and I'm pretty sure it's because <clears throat> Elvis was up there gyrating his hips. The devil, the devil dance, if you will, what they used to call it back in the day. But uh, I couldn't appreciate Elvis when I was younger. And yeah. as I got older and as I've gotten older, and it's not like I'm super old, I'm only 32. But as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate what my granny would listen to. Like my granny was so far ahead of her time back in the day. You know, she 
she would listen to to Elvis and you know I'm pretty sure it's what she grew up listening to too but you know a lot of the temptations a lot of the R&B and soul and she would listen to a lot of funk as well um so all of these things that my granny used to listen to that I remember I don't remember the songs and everything but I remember hearing like oh man I remember this and then my mom would be like yeah that's what granny liked to listen to and Elvis being one of them, the one that sticks out the most to me, because I don't know if it was her favorite song, but I just remember hearing it all the time. And it's my favorite Elvis song of all time, but in the ghetto um, yeah. is a beautifully tragic. Like that is one of the most visually it's, it's, that song is like, you can close your eyes, you can listen to him talk, and then you can hear and see everything that he's talking about. And then you go and listen to all of his music. And it's, this, it's a lot of the same thing. It's so sensory. You just sit there and you can close your eyes. You're like, fuck dude, I can, I can sit here. I'm a part of this song. I can see everything he's talking about. I can feel the, the, the strife. I can feel the happy. I can feel the dark. I can feel the light. I can feel all of this stuff. And there's that song alone. It just, it sticks out. And this, that one has always been my favorite. I don't, I don't know what it was about Elvis when I was younger, but as I, like I said, as I've gotten older, I've just fallen down this rabbit hole of just listening to Elvis when I can listening to him on the way to work. It's just, it's fun, man. So you want to hear a random story about in the ghetto? Sure, I would love to hear a random song. So, the guy who wrote In the Ghetto is Mac Davis. Okay. Um, so, we had Mac Davis on the show. And that on the fifth season. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he was, he was all excited because he wanted to do cartoon voices and everything like that. Yeah. And when he met Jeff Bennett, he goes, Can, just do it for me one time. Can you say, my mom was, my mom was mashed potatoes? <laughs> And then Jeff bent my mom's mom mashed potatoes. And he goes, yeah, that's it. <laughs> like, like, cause he knew Elvis, you know, yeah. right? And so we were just talking about stuff. And I go, hey, congratulations on uh, uh, which McCall had just come out, the little less conversation. Mm-hmm. And it just hit number one. He's like, yeah, someone just told me that uh, they're like, Hey, Mac, congratulations on number one song. He's like, what song are you talking about? And uh, he's like, yeah, I wrote that like in the 60s. What do you, what do you mean it's number one? It was the number one song at the time over in Europe, mm-hmm. um, the remix. So anyways, Mac Davis was amazing because he wrote In the Ghetto. He also wrote Little Less Conversation, which was cool. But when he came, he brought his guitar because he used to have a TV show back in the seventies where at the end of the, at the end of the show, he would find some of the audience and they'd give, tell them their name and they'd say something about themselves and he'd write a song right there about them. And so when he came, I'm like, Hey, could you play some music? And we put the record mic by there and he goes, yeah, I knew it was going to happen. He's like, because everywhere I go, any party that I go to, they always, make sure that I bring my guitar because everyone wants me to sing. And so he performed, I have, I still have the recordings of their songs that he did for us to little less conversation. The version he wrote it for uh, Aretha Franklin. And wow. so he performed the Aretha Franklin version for us. And it was just so cool just to know. And I asked him about Elvis. I'm like, what do you remember about, do you have any like random Elvis stories? Because that's cool. And he told us the story about how um, he went to go to a theater to go watch a movie with Elvis. And when he got to the theater, it's like Elvis was sitting up here and all his people were in the back. And Mac went up 
And he went straight over to Elvis and sat next to him. They're like, oh, you're not supposed to sit next to Elvis and stuff like that. Um, because Elvis got up and uh, left to go to the bathroom or something. And one of his bodyguards came up to him and it's like, you know, you're not supposed to sit up here. It's like, you're supposed to go back there. And Max like, what are you talking about? And uh, when Elvis came back, Mac was like, Elvis, you know what these guys told me? They said, I can't sit up here. They said, I can't be here. I was like, that, what is that about? And I was like, no, no, that, you can sit up here. What are you He's like, you're surrounded by people that, uh, I don't know who they are or what they're doing to you, man, but it's not, it's not, I don't think it's good for you. He's like, he's like, he's like, then who, who can I trust? He's like, well, you can call me. He's like, well, what, what, what number should He's like, I can, or we can switch numbers. He's like, and Elvis goes, hey, tell me, what, what's the number that you guys call me on? And they tell him the number. He's like, no, not that number. The number for me, to me. And then they gave him Mac Davis' number. So Elvis wrote down the phone number from Mac Davis on a matchbook. Said, yeah, um, here's my number. Call me whenever you want. And I go, where's that matchbook? He's like, I don't know, somewhere. It's like, what? <laughs> Elvis wrote down his phone number on Matchbook and you lost it? What's that about? Um, so anyways, that's my random Elvis story that I was able to get. And also one, okay, one other one, because we're talking about Elvis. Um, there, <laughs> the Hard Rock Cafe at one point was going to put Johnny Bravo on their kids menu. Mm -hmm. And I met with the owners of Hard Rock Cafe and everything or their PR team, whoever it was. And they were like, hey, want to hear an Elvis story? I'm like, yeah, tell me one. <laughs> they go, we met the police officers who went on a stakeout with Elvis because Elvis wanted to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to go on a stakeout. So these police officers, um, Elvis came along with them on a stakeout. They're all, you know, this is boring. He's like, it's okay, it's okay, guys. And he put on a mask. Mm -hmm. so no one would recognize him he didn't want anyone to recognize him so he sat in the back the whole time and they just talked and everything nothing happened that night but when he took off the mask he he had broken out in hives because he was allergic to whatever was on the the thing and they felt so bad about about it and everything but the next day the cops got a call from elvis and just thanking him for like the best night of his life and yeah. they're like oh we felt bad that, that he had got a giant rash from the mask that he wore so Anyhow, I just exhausted my Elvis stories, didn't I? Oh no, man. Uh, if if <clears throat> if I've learned anything, I think it's that uh, one. I need to clear my throat. <clears> throat. God damn! It's one that we need to have a segment on here, and it's called Van's Random or something along those <laughs> lines. And then we just have Van, you know, submit a little thirty-second story, and we put that on each episode from now on because I love. This is what I love about podcast this is what i love about not having you know somebody standing behind me telling me what i'm allowed to talk about what i need to ask and all this other shit this is what you get from a conversation vice bullet points like where'd you come up with your show how'd you do it obviously i'm gonna ask some of those questions but those questions if you haven't noticed are kind of secondary man because i want to know about you i want to know why you created what you created how you created what you created but what also went into what part of van went into whatever van was working on at that point in time or whoever i have on what went into that and it always goes in an interesting direction and interesting to me one of two things can be really weird and really fucked up or really cool 
but weird and cool and fucked up is always crazy and it's always fun because you never know where it's going to go who's going to bring up what i've had over 60 70 guests on never once have i had an elvis story let alone two or three elvis stories i've had plenty of guests on and i've never had you know i think i might have had one you know uh mr barbera story but i haven't had that many um you know we hear more about you know joe or uh yeah yeah we, we hear more about him and um we, we hear more about will excuse me um or bill um you know so it, it, it's fun seeing like i said what you guys remember what you guys bring into it and what makes you you man elvis you know johnny bravo wouldn't be johnny bravo without elvis you know he was such yeah. a huge influence you and then johnny bravo wouldn't be johnny bravo without you man because your fucking name is in it is what i'm getting at van <laughs> two of your names are in there you know so it, it's like i said i i really enjoy the stories that you've shared with me um and this is one of my favorite parts of the of the podcast is getting to have the fans get to get a piece of van if you will they want to pick your brain a little bit um we got some really good questions some questions that i had to just completely uh not bring up because they're asked every single time you know mesa blues is being one of them um you know we i guess we will talk about it a little bit i mean when we talked i mean do you want to do you want to tell them what what you told me about class and everything like that i mean i don't want people to oh it's fine whatever okay. um I usually reserve showing the Mesa Blues to my animation classes because yeah. I would rather show them something that they haven't seen. It's not that exciting to show something that's already on YouTube that they can see whenever they wanted to. So it's like, it's kind of a special thing for me to share with people and I can talk to them about the details and what went on with it. And it's just kind of a fun thing, which is why I never posted it on anything. Um, and I appreciate but, uh, that. Most I fans, about, like I said, ahead. I've shown it tons of places mm -hmm. um, when I go out. If some people want to see it, I have it like on my computer hard drive. So if someone's, yeah. if they're hanging out with me, it's like, hey, do you have that? I'm like, yeah, you want to see it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that big a deal or anything, but um, people ask me to post it, but it's just something that I'd rather just keep for. Uh, for sharing viewing. So, cause you don't really get a lot of that nowadays. There's nothing really special so much when it's out in the public eye. So um, it's just kind of a little fun thing that um, I'd like to share with people. So I don't, I'm not trying to hide it or anything like that, yeah. but yeah, I, I do have the only copy. So if, every, if everyone's, cause I've saw this one website that was talking about it and I was, they were like hunting for it and they hunted at my school for it. Like it was in some sort of archives. I'm like, no, I only had one videotape of it. And that's, and then I digitized that videotape and then I have a whole, that's pretty much, so it's not going to go anywhere and it's on my hard drive. So, so if I pass away and people are like, Hey, whatever happened to that? They can go, Hey, Dan's children. There's a film on his hard drive. <laughs> That's, that's something that I think, because you just said it, there's nothing really sacred anymore. There's nothing very special anymore. Every With streaming services, it's like, give it to me now type of thing. I want to be able to watch it when I want to watch it, right? So I think that's very important to have something like that, because if you put everything out there, like like you said, it, it doesn't have as much meaning you know, to you or to everybody else if you can just go 
Meso Blues YouTube, and you can just pull it up and anybody can watch whatever. So it's an occasion. Like, it's like what going to the movies used to be, right? Before you could stream it. Like going to the movies to me is my Disney world. Like I love like being able to take my oldest son to go to a movie and we're going to go for the first time since COVID on Halloween. I'm hoping we'll see something good. I'm letting him pick it out. So it's 50, 50. He's got some interesting, you know, interesting <laughs> views, you know, um, but no, uh, uh, so we're going to go see our first movie since before COVID, excuse me. Um, with uh with this weekend on halloween but um that 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 it's something special because before all these streaming sites were coming up that was an event you would go and you would see it and then six to eight months later you would get it on dvd or vhs when i was growing up and then dvd later blu-ray now and now it's on streaming so you can stream it the same day it comes out in the movie theater so i don't want to say it's lost its lacquer it's lost its meaning or it's lost that that magical factor but there is something special and something like i applaud what i'm getting at is i'm applauding you for holding on to that because there's so many people that would just sell their souls out i'm like you know what fuck it i'm just going to put up there so i can have all of the attention so everybody can say hey look at this look at this look at this and it's something special to sit there and say you know what it's mine i'm going to do what i want to do with it and Fans, if you want to see it, sign up for his class. He just told you how to get the blueprint, man. So if you want to see how the sausage is made, sign up for Van's class. You know, we'll put that link in here. So if you want to take an animation class by taught by Van, you can do that and you can see Nessa Blues. Um, and like I told you before we hit record, I didn't know anything about that until I posted that picture of Johnny Bravo and asking for fans questions. Um, the other one that I wanted to talk about, and we can talk about as much as you want to talk about it, and I know you said, don't ask you your opinion on it, but I want you to talk freely because there's so many people that I've, when I saw this question, I went and just YouTubed it. And there's so many people that aren't named Van Partable. Um, did I say your last name correctly? I forgot to ask you before. Is it Partable? Okay. I just want to make sure. Cause there's one there, there is, you know, when you're Filipino, your name is, you can say it two different ways. You can say it um, in the Filipino way, Partible, or you can say it the, the American way, Partable. No, nah, I'm gonna say a partible. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna feel. I'm, I'm, I'm well traveled. I'm well versed. So, you know, you're a navy guy. Yeah, you know. So I, I've, I've been around. So partible. I like that man. It makes me sound like, uh, like a exotic. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. It makes me sound like I don't look like I got vanilla face. Like I'm not as white as mayo. Um, partible, man. That's a cool fucking name. Um, the, you know, so. Like I said, when I when I posted this question, I asked for fans. The one thing I didn't know was you came off of season one. Now, when I saw that, I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? And then a couple other people asked. I'm like, all right, well, this must be a mess of blues thing. So I Googled mess of blues and then I, I Googled, you know, that. And then I saw that other people were talking about it, but Van wasn't talking about it. So what happened? Like I said, you could talk about it as little or as much as you'd like. I don't want to push you because this isn't meant to be negative or anything like that. I just did not know about this at all until today, really. So from your perspective, what happened, man? I, I, I would love to know your side of the story is what I'm getting at. Well, from my perspective, um, they just put a whole other crew on Johnny Bravo. That's pretty much it. They, uh, they wanted to see how it, I mean, if you go back, you mentioned my age, I was 23, 24. Actually, at that point in time, I was 26 when uh, we did the first season. Mm. And we, were, we didn't have the proper teaching, I guess, to run a show. Yeah. Like my first producer, Byron Bonds, 
he left a couple of months in and then we got Kazan Anzalotti and he was my producer, but he didn't know much about the show. They just put him on there. So he, uh, he wasn't like mentoring or anything like that. Um, a really great mentor for the show, short show was Larry Huber, mm-hmm. who was the producer on Dexter. So he, he was He was also the producer on all the shorts. So he was teaching everybody how to run a show, how to be a producer and blah, blah, blah. So I never got to know how to be a producer. So I just, we were just a bunch of kids running around doing things. And um, like I said, it could have been better. So it's all pretty much raw talent. So it would, but at the same time, it was just fun. I just wanted to have fun and everybody wanted to have fun. So we were just making a funny cartoon and anything that made us laugh. So when the second season came up, Warner Brothers had bought Hanna-Barbera or Warner Brothers took over Hanna-Barbera. And so um, in between first and second season, there was, I don't want to call it a snafu or whatever you want to call it. They um, felt like there was that I didn't have enough experience to run a show because Warner Brothers was Warner Brothers and they came in Mm -hmm. and they pretty much just uh, said, we I hear there's been trouble on this show. So um, if you want, we can take it over. So they just took it over. And I was kind of put to the wayside and they said, we'll see how this goes. And I was like, okay, we'll see how it goes. Um, And the nice thing was when it ran its course, um, I was, which I was pitching shows again after and I went back to Cartoon Network after them there was this time period because I was talking with one of the producers out there and he was like because he was asking me about my opinion on JBVO I don't know if you remember that show no I don't I I saw a question in there I just thought it was a typo but what was JBVO JBVO was a call-in cartoon show hosted by Johnny Bravo, okay. where kids would call in and they say, hey, cartoon. Johnny would do something funny and they'd play the cartoon. And so they asked me, like, what would you have done? What, did, what are your thoughts on it? And they gave my thoughts. And they all that. That would have been good. I wish you, we could have talked to you, but that was the time period where we couldn't talk to you. And I was like, oh. I didn't know there's a time period you couldn't talk to me. Okay. <laughs> did they say? Did they say why there there was the time you they couldn't talk to you? No, it's not like I pursued it. Um, but after that, we, um, which McCall, we, what did we do? Oh, I was pitching a show, and then to Linda Sminsky and Tacky Jones. And they, they pretty much said, we're, we want, we're just thinking, we're wondering what it would be like to see what you would do with Johnny Bravo now that you've had some producing time to uh, have, have some experience under your belt kind of thing. I go, cool. So I pitched them a Christmas special a Johnny Bravo Christmas session, they liked it. And so they did it and they thought it was funny and they liked it. 
it was really sweet. Kaki Jones is just the most amazing person. And the thing that meant the most to me when we did that, we they had an all staff meeting and they showed this thing where they're showing the previews of all the shows that are coming up at Cartoon Network. And um, I put up this, the, for the Johnny Bravo Christmas special, I took a still of a Charlie Brown Christmas and they put Johnny's head on Charlie Brown. And I said, Johnny Bravo Christmas. And I got a good laugh from the audience. And Kaki said, that's why we love you, Dan. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And that like made me feel all goosey bum. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so we did that. And that they said that half hour special was really cool. I got to bring back Chris Zimmerman and got to work with all the voices. And that was really special. Um, and then I did the Valentine's Day special. And then right at that time, The Rock called. I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this. Yeah. Um, the Rock called and said that he wanted to do a Johnny Bravo movie and wanted to meet with me. It's like, cool. Because what had happened in Ebony Magazine a while back, uh, he, 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 in, his, in his interview, he basically said, they asked him this question, what do you like to do in your spare time? He said, I like to play Willie Nelson songs and watch Johnny Bravo. I was like, oh, that's fun. Yay, and one of his two favorite things at the time. Um, what year is this? I don't mean to cut you off, but what year is this? This is probably 2001 or 2002. Okay, so this is right around the time where he's starting to make that transition into Hollywood. Yeah. So obviously, he's not as what he, he had just now. done. He had just finished the Scorpion King. Yeah, that was a flop. So, I loved him in Walking Tall, though. <laughs> no, Scorpion King put him on the map, so that's why it was like, oh, we got to do something with him. And so, um, yeah, and so. When that happened, I went back to the Cartoon Network and I said, hey, if we're going to be doing this movie, we should have some Johnny Bravo cartoons to like coincide and develop and do that. Uh, and so we can air these cartoons at the same time the movie comes out. Wouldn't that be awesome? They're like, yes, that would be awesome. That would be great synergy. And so they greenlit another season of Johnny Bravo that I got to produce. So during all of that time, you said you were 26. Now, obviously, we're not the same person because how you think and how I think and how you feel and how I feel is completely different. However, obviously, when you create something and you sell it, it's Cartoon Network to do with whatever they please. I mean, they could fire fire a creator. I mean, look at John Kay with Ren and Stimpy. Um, they could bring somebody new in. They could change everything if they really wanted to. So me just being the emotional, personal guy that I am, I would take, I would take, I would be very upset and very little words is what I'm getting at. That something that I created, because when you create something, it's a piece of you, right? Whether you, whether somebody can say, yeah, it's a piece of you. There's so much, you know, output for this character and that character, so much collaboration. But at the end of the day, what you created is a piece of you. Right. So in a sense, it's an extension of you. So if I were to give myself, you know, to somebody else and then them cut the cords. I don't know. I don't know if I could be as civil and I'm, I don't know if you were civil or if they were civil or however it went, because it was a long time ago. It's none of my business. It's between you and them. 
I would just feel some kind of way about it. With that being said, how did you get past that to come back on? I mean, I got to imagine there was a lot of raw emotion and feelings there because I'm pretty sure you were kind of upset being a 26 year old man, you know, with all that testosterone going through your system. I, I got to imagine <laughs> you were pretty hot about that, you know? So just knowing the basics that I know about science and all that other shit that I just said with testosterone and all this other stuff, what, what was your mindset? Like, what was your head? Like, I mean, did it feel like they were fucking with you when they cut you and then they bring you back or was it, did it feel like redemption getting to come back and finish it up? Or what were you feeling during that time of absence? Um, all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it, it is pretty much like my favorite. No, it's not even my favorite. Um, there are just moments that you remember, like in Entertainment Weekly, we did a photo shoot. So I did a photo shoot where I was with Johnny Bravo and then David Feast did one where he's with Cow and Chicken. And then Gendy did one where he's with Dexter and Didi. And um, the Entertainment Weekly article came out and the pictures of David and Gendy were in, mine wasn't in there. And I was all, oh, okay. <laughs> did ever tell you why? Was it after? Yeah, I was after... already fired off the show by then. Oh, okay, um, I got you, I got you. So there are things like that that you're like, okay, it's funny because I did do my I did my photo shoot and I have the picture, but it was supposed to be for that that spread. So it was one of those things that you're like, okay, how are you supposed to feel about those things? So you go to a lot of therapy, you pray a lot. <laughs> it's like, um, and yeah, it's it's kind of like, what what is God? God puts me in this position now. What am I supposed to learn from it? And that's what it was. It wasn't about people are evil, people are horrible. It's like you experience things and you're like, there's a lesson that I'm supposed to be learning here. What is that? And that puts you in a better place than um, having a lot of anger and stuff. But I mean, that was there too. So I'd be like pitching to like places and my anger would come out and I'm like, and it's like, you don't know if you can tell people about certain things. And so you had some, a sort of a secret because it's like, you're still got a show, but your and your name's attached to it. But um, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty much, yeah, you, you, you kind of deal with what's been given and try and figure out how, how, yeah. I mean, like I, I feel, well, I know it's like God redeems all. Mm -hmm. And so he did redeem that situation, but it was more uh, that time period was a difficult position to be in, especially with the show going and it being successful and people attaching your name to it or attaching yourself to it and asking you. And yeah, it's kind of, okay. So I guess if you can imagine that you had a kid and then your kid was adopted by someone else and they were making choices that you, um, that weren't the choices that you would have made, then you're like, okay, that's them. People still like them, people still enjoy it. So I don't like fault anybody that likes those things or to fault the producers. The producers did a great job. They, uh, they produced a show that people really loved, but it's like, 
I can't take credit for that version of it, even though I do get, it's like someone complimenting you on something that you didn't do. Yeah. It's kind of an awkward thing. So um, yeah, it's, it's a multi-layered thing, but I getting through it, it took a lot of therapy and prayer. I mean, it's, like I said, I, I'm not proud of it, but I, I, I think I would have held a grudge for a very long time. Like, I'm just one of those people, and I've had this talk before, so I apologize ahead of time. Um, my father wasn't in the picture at all growing up. Never, he went to prison when I was real young. He tried to, you know, he tried, air quotes, to come back into my life um, when I was younger, tried to do it last year when he had cancer um but it's just like once that damage for me specifically and like i said i know we're completely different people um but once that damage for me specifically is done it's, it's very hard for me to trust somebody again i can't i can't go out on the ledge because i was hurt so deeply yeah so long and like I would go to bat for this man on a consistent basis. Like I knew he was a druggie. I knew he was an alcoholic. I knew he didn't want kids, you know, but like at a young age, man, your dad's your hero until he's not. Right. Yeah. And the only reason I bring up that story is I just, I don't know, like for me specifically, I don't know if I could go to enough therapy or if I could pray enough. And like I told you, I'm not a, I'm not a really religious person because of, you know, a whole bunch of different things. I mean, if you want to, we could talk about it, but I, most people don't want to hear that. Um, I don't know if I could pray to somebody, you know, I don't know if I could ask those questions. And like I said, I tried to reconcile with him last year and he would call and we would talk, you know, and I'd pep him up, you know, I'd prep him up or prop him up and stuff like that when he was having bad days, when he was going through chemo. And then it was just his, his stepmom or not my, not his stepmom, my stepmom. Step yeah. Sent me a message that was so condescending and it was trying to guilt me into calling somebody and having a relationship with somebody that I tried to for 25 years to have a relationship with. And I couldn't like, I, I look back on it now and, and like, it's it, like, I haven't talked to him in a few months and I used to call him like every Monday or I'd call him like every couple of days and he'd call me and, all this other shit. And it was just like, every time I would hear that voice, like I would flash back, you know, and, and like, he never molested me, never beat me, none of that shit, you know, but it, it's just an emotionally absent parent is just as fucking, I don't want to say just as detrimental as a physically or a molester or stuff like that, because everybody deals with stuff differently. And, and each one doesn't cancel out. Not one is greater than the other, but molesting a kid is just too far for me. But you know, that didn't happen. But what I'm getting at is, is, how long did it take you to get rid of that pain? Cause I still carry that with me. I can't, I can't let that go. And it's just something that I don't think I could ever let go. I tried, I wrote down, I've got a little yellow pad that I have here. I wrote down like seven or eight fucking pages front and back on everything I wanted to say to him, everything I thought I could say to him. And my intention was to mail that letter off. Mm -hmm. Then I find out he's got cancer. Then I find out he's dying. Then I find out he, he got a piece of his lung taken. And, you know, they think he's in the clear and then he finds out that it's metastasized to his liver because of alcohol pills and all this other shit. And I thought I could send it and then I just threw it away. 
And then I, I started thinking like, fuck, man, is this really worth carrying, right? Is it worth the corrosion that something like that carries? Is it worth it? And at the end of the day, it's like, man, if I put it in the back of my mind, I don't think about it. When I smoke too much weed and all of that stuff I've been repressing, that starts to come to the forefront. Then I start thinking, man, am I really doing the right thing? So the only reason I told you that was like, I'm trying to wrap my head around how some people cope or how some people get through probably the dark. Would you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But would you say was that probably one of the darkest times of your life? Just getting taken off of your show? Yeah, I could say that. Okay. Um, because it, 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 it's kind of like, like I said, you, I birthed something and it was something that I enjoyed and, and I was able to control this character and yeah. I knew what was funny about him. And I knew there was a lot of things that I didn't tell people about him because at, that was my thing. Mm-hmm. So like Butch and Seth would write something and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how to verbalize it because I didn't know as much about me as I needed to, or I knew much about the human condition as, as I do now. So it's like, I would scratch out the line that they wrote and I would write something else. And it would be because I knew the character better than all of them. And I didn't know how to explain the character to them. Um, I just knew this is what he would actually do. And so that's why when they were, everyone's throwing out jokes, it's like, you know what, I'll fix it. Just give it to me and then I'll just go rewrite it. And that's all that I ever did was just rewrite everybody's stuff because I knew the character, but I didn't know how to verbalize why I knew the character or how I knew the character. So when you lose that control and you watch it go off, not necessarily off the rails, you watch it go in a direction that you're like, I would have rewrote that, I would have retimed that, I would have put them in a different situation because that's not the character that I created. That's not the world that he would get involved in. He wouldn't be put in that position. He wouldn't have reacted that way. Um, It's hard to watch that. And as far as getting past it, you never really get past it. Yeah. Like the more, when you talk about it, it brings it all up, but it's pretty much uh, you learn to live with it, kind of like yeah. a disability. You're like, yeah. this is what is, it's part of your life. And it does, I think my relationship with God is like huge in that respect that you, that I can turn to him and say, you know, this is, it's like, I need help at this time. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. I want to, it's like I need clarity or I need something to help, help me process all this. And it's more about, you know, forgiveness. It's about having grace for people, having grace for yourself, all that stuff. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. not, it's, it's like you could get angry about it and you could hate all the people involved and all that other good stuff or bad stuff. But at the end of the day, um, all that stuff is living rent free in your house, in your head. Yeah. And you're like, why are you? That doesn't need to be there. And it's like, those are the things that you need to work through. You need to grieve them and all that stuff. Like when they gave the show back, I was like, okay, this is what I would do with it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was awesome because I could do this new, sh- I can do the show. I go, this is how the show would look. They had problems with the, uh, the design. 
So I hired uh, Dan Haskett, uh, who designed everything in the world. Yeah. From, uh, I don't know if you know his whole history, he designed Belle, Little Mermaid, everything. He did the Simpsons, Batman animated series, everything that you can possibly imagine. I go, how would you design Johnny Bravo? And he designed him. Yeah. Or I had Von Tata, this new storyboardist, design some stuff. It's like I just had people like fix all the things that I couldn't fix before because I didn't know better, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then that fifth season was like the funnest season because all the people that I wanted to hire, I hired. We just had fun every month, every week. If you ever get a chance to talk to Craig Bartlett, I think he wrote in a in an article. They're like, what was it like working with Van? He's like, it's like a party every week. Because <laughs> it was. I would throw all kinds of stuff. We threw fondue parties. We threw music parties. We threw... My favorite time was uh, one, one of the things we did on fifth season, we did this thing called Alex Almaguer Day. So I took, <laughs> first of all, we, we took his, his driver's license picture and we blew it up to be about six, six eight feet tall made color copies of it. Then we made color copies of a mask mm-hmm. and we, uh, we put them all in popsicle sticks. Um, his girlfriend got all of Alex's shirt cause Alex liked to wear these button up shirts and he gave them to all the crew. So all the crew was wearing Alex's shirts. We had, uh, and then we created Alex Almagir day. So I asked, like, I created a certificate declaring an Alex Almagir day. Uh, Tom Kenny came in as the mayor uh, of Townsville of Cartoon Network and he announced it officially, uh, Alex Almagier Day. Um, May Whitman was there to present him with the thing, the girl who played Little Susie presented him with the certificate. We put him on one of those dollies and he went through everybody, everyone had bubbles and we did a little parade <laughs> down the thing. We did karaoke that day and um, and then uh, we got Miss Burbank came with, I called up the whole pageant area. Like, could Miss Burbank come to this thing? Would they're like, yeah, uh, she can. So they gave me her number. And she's like, should I bring my sash and tiara? We're like, yes, you should bring your sash and tiara. <laughs> so she came and she presented uh, the certificate. Well, I don't know. No, May presented the certificate. He, she presented something. I forget what she did. I think she dubbed it. Yeah, made it official because she was Miss Burbank. Um, so yeah, we did fun things like that. When my my uh, my producer, she was getting married, so we had tons of parties. We did a wedding reception for her. We did because she was also one of the producers on Samurai Jack. So we had the Samurai Jack crew and Johnny Bravo crew. We threw a big party for her. We decorated. We went to gosh Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, and we. Ooh put out doilies and all this other stuff and we um did a party there for her we uh and then when she was gone every day we took a picture of her office but we redecorated it like today there's an alien and we covered everything in tinfoil and then another day we had all the accountants there um, measuring everything another day we had um we put like the big giant doll from powerpuff Girl. there's a bunch of stuff that we did so i always tried to keep it fun and yeah, yeah anyways <laughs> 
Yeah, I, uh, I've, yeah, Craig would be a great guy to have on, man. His, uh, his manager's a little tough to, to persuade, but that's neither here nor there, man. One day he'll be on here. I have, I have faith. Um, but thank you. Thank you for opening up just a little bit, man. Cause I know, like I said, I got a little personal there and I, I, I get comments every once in a while where people are like, man, it's not about you. It's about them. But when you're having a conversation, you, I don't want to say you open up, but you do open up, man, because it's, it's a conversation shouldn't be one way. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's reciprocal. It's give and give, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's just making everything a little bit more personal. And plus at the end of the day, man, just like Johnny Bravo, this show is my fucking show. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you know? So it it all depends on, yeah, it all depends on where we're going to go. So I know we've been talking here for like a little bit. (laughs) I didn't mean to keep you this long. So I apologize for that. Um, so we'll get through as many fans questions as possible. So first thing that comes to your mind, just rattle it off. And if you don't want to talk about it, we'll just hit the pass. Um, and some of these names, I apologize in advance, are very difficult to, uh, to pronounce. Facundo wants to know, any story about trouble with merchandising during Johnny Bravo? Um, they did not merchandise it because they did not know how to sell a masochistic womanizer to kids <laughs> man can you now there's there's a few fans questions in here. uh what would johnny bravo look like now obviously we're not getting the same show because times have changed but if you could take a snapshot of what johnny bravo was in the 90s and then transport him into 2021 what would your what would your vision be for Johnny Bravo in today's climate? Being the same. It, I mean, if you can imagine, well, you can't imagine. Look, look at Austin Powers. <laughs> Perfect example. I like that correlation between those so, two. There you go. That's um, what the rock, what the rock wanted. He told me that he wanted um, Johnny Bravo to be his Austin Powers. So. Please tell me you've got some some fucking pull to make this happen. I mean, I know he's out here making Shazam van, but please, 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 please make that happen. Because there is quite a few people that wanted to know um, about the the live action. And like I said, like I thought it was just a meme. I thought it was like a rumor type of thing. I didn't know there was actually, you know, I don't want to say some shit going on, but there was some, you know, at least some talks going and said, hey, I mean, he likes we, we, we visited him on the set of The Rundown when it was called Hell Dorado. Fantastic um, movie. Yeah, he was fun. I met his, we had, yeah, we had a bunch of talks. My friend, I gave him a line. He's like, can I use that? I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you can totally use that. Um, <laughs> you remember which line it was? Yeah, um, it was, Johnny was at the library. And he went up to a girl and she was reading a book and he takes the book away and he goes, if you want something better to read, read my mind. <laughs> um, you can see the rock saying that shit too. Yes. <laughs> he loved it. Um, anyways, next. <laughs> Beautiful man. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but Billy wants to know, is there any news on viewing on the streaming platforms for Johnny Bravo. No, no one said anything to me. So I feel like they're really missing out there. Um, 
Uh, Zachary wants to know, and this is a pretty good one. Uh, were you unsure if kids would get all of the Elvis references? No, because they did, that wasn't part of the the agenda. The agenda was to make it funny. Gotcha. So, what do you think? They always kept telling me, "What do you think is funny?" I'm like, oh, "This is funny." Okay. That, that works. It was uh, about making sure people liked it. I mean, we did a um, the same focus group that everyone told Craven Kraken. Yeah. That uh, he should quit. Uh, it was an awful. Yeah, cartoon. Um, that was fun. Me and Gendy and Craig, we flew out to Arizona for that uh, focus group, and so I said, I, all three of them got focus tested. Dexter's was like across the board, awesome. Um, but Powerpuff uh, was kind of like they either really loved it or they really hated it, and that was the same as Johnny Bravo. Yeah. Uh, the kids really either loved it or really hated it. And the thing about that is it sparked an emotion in them and that's what they liked. They didn't want any lukewarm stuff in it. So it ranked up. That's, they said that's the kind of thing that Ren and Stimpy does, did. It's like, that's how it tested the savings, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. That's a good thing to, you know, kind of, kind of get compared to. I mean, it, it did, it did some nice little views over there on Nickelodeon, you know, um, <laughs> Peter wants to know, uh, no, we already answered that one because it was about uh, Bush and Seth. Um, man, Bakajin, Baka, I always... Uh, Bakugan? It's B-A-K-A-K-O-U-J-I-N. Sure. Yeah, that'll work, man. I, I hope to finish <laughs> it. <you know. laughs> uh, they want to know, what was your experience with Ed Benedict? My experience with Ed Benedict was awesome. He was the good friend of mine like when Brian Byron Vaughn's actually brought him in um he's like we've been talking to him would you like him to uh mentor you would you like him to be a character designer I was like sure yeah so I called him up I'm like hey Ed we'd like to draw like you because we were trying to get the old Hanna-Barbera style down yeah. he's like there's no Hanna-Barbera style I, mean, I go, I wanted to get that Ed Bendix style. That's what I said. He goes, there's no Ed Bendix style. I go, yeah, there, there is. He's like, well, I can't, I can't tell you about it. It's kind of like, it's like seeing a beautiful woman and then trying to tell somebody about her. It's like, I have to show you. I go, okay. So they said, do you, Byron was like, we should fly you up there. I go, okay. So they flew me and Julian Cheney up to Carmel. And I lived up in Salinas, so it was nice because it was just a few miles away, so I could stay in Salinas, but I could just drive up to Carmel and hang out with Ed Bendick. So Ed Bendick gave us, uh, he's like, I told you on the phone. Uh, this is, anyways, <laughs> he's a crabby old man, but he was really nice. His home was amazing. He had like amazing drawings. He had files, he kept everything. Um, really cute. Every year he would create a new, uh, a sculpture of a rabbit for Easter for his wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had a collection of these really amazing uh, rabbits, which were cool. Uh, he had a drawing by Grim Natwick of Betty Boop on his wall. That's the only drawing that he had. And he had files and files of drawings. Um, and then uh, we sat there and he taught us how to draw. Yeah, He's like, I have a drawing that he did of 
this is how Pebbles would have been designed if I designed Pebbles. It's like, that's not how I would have designed her. Um, showed me all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, I kept all the drawings that he drew. The first drawing he did, he threw away and Julian pulled it out of the garbage when he wasn't looking. I used to have a cigarette and he'd smoke it and then he'd put it down and then he just let the ash just go. <laughs> he just watched it. It was just the funniest thing. He'd take another puff and there'd just be big long ash on there. Um, but we became good friends because I lived in Salinas. Every time I went to Salinas, I would go visit Ed and we'd just sit and talk. That's really he cool. Talk about everything. I became really good friends with him and his family. When he passed away, um, ABC News called me. And they're like, uh, George Stephanopoulos does this thing on Sundays where uh, he talks about, he does a section of, and there's a tribute to people who passed away that week. And at Bendik, we want to put Ed on there. Do you have any pictures? I was like, sure. So I gave him some pictures and I talked with his kids. And so I drove up there with Julian to his kid's house. And we all watched the George Stephanopoulos show together. Uh, and that was really, really cool. Yeah. And we got to go through all his stuff. Like when he passed away, um, me and Julian actually went up there because his son was like, I don't know what this stuff is. So um, if you want to clean out his, his office, I'd be more, you can be our guest. So me and Julian totally drove up there yeah. and we helped them pack. And we got to go through all this stuff. We're like, oh my gosh. And his son was like, I didn't know he did that. He never talked about that. And we'd see all these things that Ed worked on. Like, what is this? And he, we, it was like rummaging through his archives was amazing. So, um, yeah, he was like a good friend, good mentor. Like when he, he was really sweet. Like he's, he goes, he, he'd call me up and he goes, I was looking at all the designs for this water cartoon thing. And Johnny stood out. It's like, that's the one, that's where my eye went. I was like, oh, thanks. That's that was that was like the sweetest thing that he could say. Like if you look at, and it was everybody's, all the drawing, all the cartoons were up there. And that's the one that he, he was just really a really nice guy. I have a bunch of recordings of him. Mm -hmm. And I did some, uh, I was writing a Cartoon Network book. And yeah, that's kind of a crazy one because um, I was writing this Cartoon Network book and I interviewed like over a hundred people about the history of the Cartoon Network. So if you want to know what the history of the Cartoon Network is, I pretty much, <laughs> that was a fun one because I got, I interviewed as many people as I could. I interviewed from the people who, uh, like the guy who convinced Ted Turner to buy the Hanna-Barbera library. He had some really great stories to all the different artists. Um, yeah, it was kind of one of those as told by those who were there yeah. kind of thing. I, I, I like being, I'm very much a, like a historian type person. I so I love it. And so, yeah, that's that was the kind of thing when I did him, Johnny Bravo, I wanted to put in as many Hanna-Barbera characters in the show as possible. So if you go through, the show, you will see that I've got, I was able to put everybody from Scooby-Doo on the gang to Yogi Bear and Frankenstein Jr. and Snuffles. 
Um, I put Huckleberry Hound in, and what else did I put in there? I put the Flintstones. That that was fun to do a Flintstones episode. So, anyways. Well, like I said, man, I've I've told you plenty of times. Thank you for sharing those stories. Um, Because most of the time, people are super guarded with some of these stories. Um, So I appreciate when you guys can open up and really share something. Um, We talked about the live action, man. Uh, So I think it's zany. My handwriting is horrible, so I apologize. Johnny's 90s crush was Farrah Fawcett. Before I ask you the second part, is that true? I have to imagine it was. Johnny's 90s crush? Yeah. He seemed so... uh, No? He just seemed like he was so sure of his answer. He's like, Johnny's 90s crush was Farrah Fawcett. Who would it be in current times? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or who was was his 90s crush? Um, Heather Locklear. That's a good one to have. Because I tried to put her, uh, whatchamacallit, I remember I wanted her to be in the show and she didn't, she said no. She was in the height of Melrose Place at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so who would it be in today's day and age? Who do you think he would be crushing on? Um, gosh. Why is it everybody's... Uh, Um, I would say Charlize Theron. That's a great one to have too. Why? Why am I saying her? Um, because her <laughs> name rolls off the tongue really easily, or it—it's a it, the name sounds like there's a joke in there somewhere that I would have to take a while. I—it's I, fun. Um, we did a Johnny Bravo video game. I don't think it turned out very well, mm-hmm. but I got to write it, mm-hmm. and so I got to write down every single. It's like, give me 10 ways Johnny would say no, 10 ways Johnny would say yes, 10 ways Johnny would say yes in a, in a happy way, 10 ways Johnny would say yes in a sad way. I had to say, write all these different, so it was fun to riff on that and just do a lot of improv of what Johnny would say and what other people would say to Johnny. And um, yeah, I love being in that mode. I'm not in that mode right now. um, when you asked me that question i started going to that mode and i was like oh and then but sometimes when i get in that mode i can get sexist and so i had to stop myself (laughs) yeah i don't i don't need you getting canceled i don't don't need that to happen um consumer of tunes wants to know would johnny bravo get along with beavis and butthead since they both think they're chick magnets but fail to get the girlfriend no no (laughs) <laughs> why would they not because they're kids he's not into kids <laughs> so and they would actually make fun of him and he would be like why why am i giving you the time of day kind of thing yeah. it's pretty much yeah he wouldn't hang out with them because they would think he was a big nerd and he would feel bad and so he would just be out of that situation yeah that's <laughs> not having a crossover with uh beavis and butthead and mike judge boys and girls um 47 cartoon guy wants to know what would johnny bravo do an adult swim revival i got to imagine i mean it's the 90s was pretty risque i mean the 90s is kind of what adult swim is now but uh you know would you would you change anything if it was on adult swim or keep it the same, keep it keep the same? It the same. yeah 
there isn't much that there was actually a playboy joke in one of the episodes that I'm like, oh, I don't think we should have done that one, but oh, well, it's there. Uh, it's a part of history. Um, Andrew wants to know, have you seen the Twisted Tunes panel with Jeff Bennett reading Gaston quotes from Beauty and the Beast as Johnny Bravo? Nope. No? We'll see if we can't rectify that a little bit later. <laughs> uh, my, it exists. It exists. It's out there. It's sure. in the ethernet. Um, my buddy Larry best friend here does all my editing and everything like that so thank you larry you do an amazing job um where's my johnny bravo and samurai jack crossover um they've done them they're on they're, they have the interstitials on them they yeah. johnny and uh samurai jack are at the laundromat that's the closest thing that you'll get to that have you seen that one yeah i, I think so i want to say yes i've seen a lot of shit and half the time I'm intoxicated because the weed is strong these days, man. Uh, so I don't know if it was a product that was put on or if it was something that some of these. Some it's of the, real. Yeah. It's real. Okay. <laughs> it's cute. I think it's fun. Uh, my buddy Brian wants to know, does Johnny Bravo ever find his smoking hot mama? He did. In the Valentine's Day special. Beautiful. Uh, you have to watch how it turns out, but that would be it. <laughs> Beautiful. That's that's the one, Brian. Uh, Bradley wants to know who's Johnny Bravo's dad. Uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> it's a big long thing that uh, someday we'll figure that out. Beautiful. We'll revisit that one in the part two someday. Eric wants to know what's your favorite episode. Uh, I really like the cartoon makeover episode. Which one was that one? It was with Weird Al and Don Knotts and Blue Falcon. <laughs> That's a fucking guest lineup right there in itself. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, they played the, the cartoon makeover team mm -hmm. and they came over to make over the Johnny Bravo. Uh, I thought it was funny anyways. He had a full house joke inside there. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was written by Adam Pava, mm -hmm. who wrote, when did Adam wrote Box Trolls, that movie? Yeah. And he created uh, Inside Jimmy's Head. Mm -hmm. so, I don't know that one, but I know the Box Trolls. I took my kid to see that one. He really dug that one. Yeah. Um, Nick wants to know, what was it like when Johnny Bravo was nominated against Dexter's Lab at the Annie's? Some of these like? things are pretty deep, deep, deep cuts, so I, I don't know too much about them. But It was never up against Dexter. Okay. So there you the go, deep Nick. cut <laughs> is not correct. Uh, Johnny was only up for the Annie Award for best animated short the original one okay. and it was also up for like a sound one. Oh, it was up for best writing on uh which episode was that it was the mother's day episode that steve marmel did that was nominated yeah um but it was i guess that's probably what but that was just for best writing uh so yeah i only, i've only been the i think it's a couple of times uh, 
I presented one year, which was fun. Yeah. Um, I think I presented to Bruce Tim that year. Oh man. Uh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, anyways, no, that's what it feels like. It's like I, I, the one year we were up for a cable ace award, which no one really cares about. It was the very last year of the cable ace awards. <laughs> um, when cable was still a big thing, we were up against South park. So Ooh. it was, it was South Park's first year. They won. Um, it was us, South Park, and Freakazoid. Oh, I remember Freakazoid. Um, but that was an interesting night. I remember Michael McKean called it the Kabbalache Awards. Um, Kabbalache. <laughs> but yeah, that was, those were some of the few awards that I remember it being up against anyone. Against Dexter, it's never really up against Dexter. Yeah, like I said, some of these fans questions, I don't know if they're bullshitting or if they're maybe maybe they just didn't know. Um, and that one was just weird because, like I said, I Google it and you can never really find anything that's definitive with something like this because it'll go, oh, Dexter at the Andes or, oh, Johnny Bravo here. And it's like, oh, bitch, I just want you to answer this question. And I'm glad you answered that question, man. I'll <laughs> get a couple more here. Sibo um, wants to know, with streaming platforms picking up ideas for all sorts of new cartoons, what projects have been piquing your interest out there? Is there any shows that are on the streaming networks that are getting picked up that you uh, that you are particular to? Mm. Is there? Kid Cosmic. Oh, that's a good one. I really enjoy that yeah, one. I like Craig's, Craig's stuff is just crazy good. Let's start there. <laughs> um ultraviolet gray wants to know nope we answered in depth about the scooby-doo so i apologize um roy and this is the last one uh roy van Deer lee wants to know why are women not attracted to johnny bravo even though he's so handsome before you answer that the guy as soon as the other guy that answered the question underneath his question was it's because he's a douchebag so uh why, why is your yeah the internet never fucking takes a day off sometimes some people just want to ask a question and other people just want to hate on it so why do you well you don't have to think think about it because you created the character but why aren't the women into johnny bravo even though he's so damn handsome it's not necessarily about being handsome it's about how he approaches them mm -hmm. right yeah it's like if anyone approaches you in a uh, aggressive way, you're turn immediately turned off by that, unless you can see past all that. Yeah. Um, so it takes a certain person to be uh, excited about that mm -hmm. because they either think it's funny or they think it's charming or they or they're they like you for your looks. So there's that. Yeah. Those, those, so it's always an immediate response. So, and I think that the more you get to know him, the more you realize, then you start to like him. He's a lovable guy, um, man. So it's like, what you, what, whenever anyone says, is he ever going to get a girl? It's like, if he takes the time to in a girl, yes. <laughs> it's never, he, I think he's more ADHD than that. It's like, I need to get this girl's number and then he gets the girl's number and then he forgets the number. It's kind of like that. If he ever got a girl's number, he would lose it. 
and you wouldn't know what to do. Um, so it's not, it's not for lack of trying, it's for more of the sport. It's kind of like, that's his sport. I'm gonna go hit on women and then I'm gonna see if any of them will uh, rub my feet. <laughs> it's like, but that's, it's, it's that simple, I guess you can say. Beautiful, man. So, uh, like I told you when we first started, I really appreciate you taking, I apologize for taking so much of your time tonight. Um, I did not know it was that much time until I just looked up. I figured it was only a couple hours. It's a couple hours and a half, but nonetheless, man, uh, is there anything, um, that I don't think I said anything much really. <laughs> you, you had some, you had some of the best stories I have heard on here in a long time. That's nothing disparaging against any of the guests I've had on here. I've had, this is one of my favorite talks. And I'm not just saying that cause you're on here. One thing that most people will get to know once they get to know me is I'm pretty much straight shooter. I, I tell you what's on my mind. I, I don't, I cut the fat type of thing. I don't sit here and try to placate anybody. I don't try to build anybody up. It doesn't need to be built up just to, you know, just to flex on somebody's ego or massage somebody's ego, excuse me. Uh, but I, this is one of my favorite conversations I've had in a long time. Um, it, it, it's, it's been fun. No, thank you, man. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this, this is one of those shows that we always look forward to as kids. There's so many kids that are my age now, or used to be kids. Now we're adults. It sucks being an adult. Stay a kid for as long as you possibly can, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but you made so many of our childhoods so fun by making this show. You know, I know it came with its trials and tribulations. You made it through, and I'm glad you did. I'm glad you got to come back on this show and finish it your way. You got to take your character and actually show people how it was done. Very few people get to do that, let alone get to come back and finish the story their way. So I'm glad that happened. And I, I really appreciate everything you've done. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to tell people about that we can push traffic towards your way? I know we talked about a couple shows you just got done. Uh, you said writing for directing or both? I'm directing on the Wolf Boy and Everything Factory and Pete the Cat. There's still new episodes coming out with those two. Um, so those are fun. But yeah. no, um, I love talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you've only scratched the surface of the funny stories mm -hmm. because it's even more crazy, I guess. <laughs> I, I have like fun, I have four albums from just all the years because I love taking pictures. Mm -hmm. um, so I have, that's why I have a lot of random memories yeah. about this and I still see people and so we still share fun stories um, because a lot of, it's kind of like, I feel sometimes like I was the Forrest Gump of animation in the 90s. <laughs> because- That's a phenomenal reference point right there because there's gonna be people like, what is, what is he, special needs? Like, no, <laughs> went through the entire John or the entire history of Cartoon Network where I started. He talked about who was there, when was there. And that's what Forrest Gump did, man. He's showing up at Black Panther parties. He's showing up in the Vietnam War. He's playing ping pong to win for the U.S. Olympic team. I mean, he's he fucking brought Dr. Pepper and he talked to JFK. He talked to all these spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, so it's just it's fantastic. That's such a great reference, man. And, and you're fucking the Forrest Gump of Cartoon Network. Bro. <laughs> but it is funny because I because I did this book, which I don't think is gonna get published. I was, they actually flew me out to Cartoon Network and let me stay there overnight, going through a file cabinet 
-hmm. and learning about all their archives. And I talked with everybody off the record about the creation of the network or what it was like there. Um, so I got some amazing stories and I got some, I just got to know everybody. And some people were like way more willing to share all the stuff. They're like, but you can't, you can't uh, print that. I was like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, it's so yeah, so it's I've I've I have this affinity to Cartoon Network because it's like I've been there since the beginning, mm -hmm. and I kind of watched it grow. No, I didn't, and I got to be a part of it, which is amazing. Yeah. And being able to like, because I can go back there and I can tell you some fun, like really fun stories, funny stories, dirty stories, amazing <laughs> stories, weird things that happened, weird things that are like just gossipy i'm like i don't want to gossip about that there's just a lot of things it's it, it was like my college experience it was like four years at hannah barbera mm -hmm. and then i got to do, go to cartoon network for another number of years and being able to like watch people grow watch people do their thing mm -hmm. um it was fun and so yeah i do have this random uh, memory base of the network and yeah, because I loved seeing everybody and watching what went on. And I was like a uh, a sponge when it comes to all this stuff. Like, Because like you, I was a huge fan. So um, my favorite thing was on the weekends, they were digitizing everything. And there would be boxes of animation that they had to digitize. And I would go through, I went through tons of animation. Like they had tons of stock animation. And I would just go through the photocopying machine and go zing, 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 zing. Yeah. And so I have a bunch of like model sheets, animation, stuff that just makes me smile, stuff from my childhood, drawings from different people that I just loved. Mm -hmm. It was cute. My, Joe Barbera for my wife's, her, uh, one of her wedding parties or whatever it was we did, did a hollywood theme so joe barbera drew this picture of tom and jerry with presents raining down and it's just cool it's like your friends just made history and it's neat <laughs> right it really is like, yeah you know you watched all these people make history and you're like that was awesome that would, and it's like people mentioned folks all the time that I'm like, ah, I can I can tell you a story about that, but it's like, <laughs> I don't want to jump in and just like share random. And it, sometimes it like, sometimes it feels like I'm the old grandpa. It's like, Hey, I have a whole story. I'll tell you about this time. That I have a ton of those random stories and it makes me laugh. And so I just smile in my head. And then when I see the people that, um, I can share those stories, but it's so much fun because we remember and remember them in different ways. And yeah. it's like, oh, I forgot about that part. Um, so yeah, I had a unique uh, vantage point of the history of the network. So anyways, it, it was is, fun sharing it with you. It really was. Give me uh, 30 seconds right after we get off this call. I want to tell you one thing and then uh, something that I told you, super secret squirrel stuff. But uh I don't think any better way to really end that other than man, Van has been fun. I, I, I've had a blast. 
He's been Van. I've been Julian. This has been a What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Thanks, guys. Good night. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.